Well, good evening. Today, if you are on schedule, you have completed the book of Leviticus. Yes. <laughs> I heard one pastor ask his congregation, how many of you, your favorite book is Leviticus? And not one hand went up in a room of 2,000. So, I am sure that we have not made any converts to the book this time. But we are going to talk about some things in there. Uh, towards the end of Leviticus especially, there are some, uh, some interesting things that I think uh, you may or may have not seen before or may have seen some questions you may have. Let me just be perfectly honest with you. Leviticus is one of those tricky books that once you get into, if you get into the every verse of it, there are lots of unanswered questions, okay? So let me just go ahead and warn you on the front end that I have a much better grasp of the overall understanding of Leviticus than I might of the verse by verse. Now, I will tell you that there are books of the Bible I think we have a better understanding of the verses than the overall. But I think Leviticus is a book that works better overall than as verse by verse. And so we're going to make some kind of assessments based on the overall book um, uh, tonight as we kind of conclude and what value does it have and why, do, you know, Scripture tells us in the New Testament that all Scripture is God-breathed and is good for reproof and correction and teaching. And so we'll pull some things out of that. A couple of interesting things that we might talk about a little bit, um, ceremonies and some things in there as well. All right? So let's go. What questions do you have? Things you noticed? Things you wondered about, things you thought were good in the book of Leviticus. Leviticus. The law. Just say the law. Miss Hodges, yes. No, uh, most, most, there, there are some traditions out there that will tell you that. Most people think that the full sacrificial system stopped in 70 A.D. That's when Jerusalem was destroyed by the Roman Empire. Because the temple was destroyed and that temple proper has never been rebuilt uh, that was that wasn't Solomon's temple it was Herod's temple but that's the best understanding and that doesn't mean that there aren't some out there that still do but on a mass scale most would point to 70 AD um, you know then you went for thousands of years when Israel was not even a recognized country that well you know, and one thing you do have in the book of Acts is you have people accusing Paul of not fulfilling his Jewishness. And the apostles, especially when they were in Jerusalem, I believe they participated in many of the Jewish festivals. I don't, not necessarily bringing the sacrifices, but trying to point people to the fulfillment of those festivals uh, instead of bringing the doves and all of that. It's a... Um, I mean, obviously, by the time you get to Hebrews, which nobody knows who or when Hebrews was written, but when you get to Hebrews, uh, you've got those declarations that Christ was once for all, so you don't have to do it anymore, that understanding. And we can tell that pretty early on in the apostles' life, they had that understanding. We don't know if that's something Jesus kind of taught them in those 40 days after his resurrection or what, but um, we don't see them participating in sacrificial stuff after, I mean, in the book of Acts. You see Paul around the temple. You see Peter around the temple. You see Paul being accused of treating Gentiles and of bringing Gentiles into the temple. Those kind of things. So, Other questions, thoughts? 
Miss Sue Foreman. No, what you have is, you have in Leviticus, you have the whole law being explained. And so Miss Sue's asking how often did this happen. There was regular atonement that had to be made, but then once a year they had the big day, which was Yom Kippur. The Jewish calendar still celebrates that, the Day of Atonement. And so there would have been sacrifices ongoing, and that was kind of the uh, Yom Kippur came several days after Rosh Hashanah, which was the Jewish New Year. It still does. came right after that. And so there would have been daily. If you sinned, you, you could take something there. But you know, Day of Atonement was kind of like, let's clear it all out. Everything that we may not have sacrificed for, everything that we overlooked, let, let's start the year fresh and clear it out. No, no, they, and they would, what, no, what, Yom Kippur was, they did one, they did two goats, okay? Uh, If you remember in reading that, in Yom Kippur, they did two goats, and we talked about this on Sunday night, some of you in our Sunday night class, Um, and one goat they would kill, and one goat they would let go. He was the scapegoat, that's where that term comes from, is that festival, Um but that was once they did two animals, so they did some other things around the festival, but it was mainly on those two animals. You didn't have everybody bring it. You know, the whole of Israel's sin was laid on that goat, so symbolically. I'll enter that next week when you're not here, Sue. Here's the truth. I haven't read into numbers. I mean, we just started numbers today on our reading plan, and so I haven't gotten into that and researched that. Um, and I'll, the reason I will hesitate on that is because of what they're counting, who they're counting, uh, some of those kind of things. Uh, and we, you know, it gives us some numbers for the Exodus, but it doesn't give us, not like numbers where they're doing the counting. So I'll, I'll, I'll do some further investigation and uh, tell Jack, Jack, email me, because you're the emailer, email me, and I'll send an email back to you with what I find on my answer, so you'll have it answered. Well, that's that's... That's what's assumed. There, that comes from the numbers of males. Uh, that's not counting females and children. And so that that number has kind of been out there, but it never says in the scripture there were two million. Yeah. So, all right, somebody up closer, Gary. Hey, Gary, if your question's too tough, you're no longer allowed to come. All right. The law. I don't. I don't like a lot of lawyer questions. So, cross examination. Go ahead, Gary. Yeah. This this what what the word there is uh, it's the Jewish understanding of that word and our translation. You know, one of the bad things about when you're on our side of it is you're having to have a translation of what they meant. The word permanent there has the understanding of um, ongoing, lasting, not to be repealed. Uh, you get to the New Testament though, and you have them very clearly stating Paul, Jesus, that that's been misinterpreted, and the new law has come. The new day has come. And so he's fulfilling the law greater so that those, some of those are no longer necessary. So does that answer your question, Gary? Okay. Those that didn't hear, he was asking about the permanent. This is a always law, permanent law. All right? Brenda? Yeah. A couple of things there. Okay. Brenda's asking about the slave issue, um, that God seems to condone Israelites buying slaves. Uh, March 2nd, I said it was yesterday. March 1st, Monday. Um, first of all, and I think I've said this before in here, but 
we have to understand that slavery in their day is not like slavery that we imagine. Now, we'll get to the issue that they're still considered property there in a minute because that's a major issue. When we think of slavery, what do we think of? Roots. That's what I think of. Y'all know that movie Roots? Okay. Uh, When I pastored in Ripley, Ripley is the county seat of Lauderdale County, and right five miles down the road is Henning, the home of Alex Haley. His home is a place there. Uh, They have... Uh, those of you that, that watched Roots or read Roots, Chicken George, uh, they have Chicken George Highway between Ripley and... Well, every time I did a funeral in Ripley almost, I went out Chicken George Highway to the cemetery. Okay, um, So we think of that image of, of Old South slavery. Okay, And involved in that was mistreating grossly another human being. For many of the slaves in this day and time, especially the Israelites that had slaves, which was very few, and there were very few times when Israelite was in a position to have slaves, they treated them almost like family. Um, they, 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 they did buy them, but they treated them just like they were one of them. In fact, there's the point in there where it talks about the priest being able to eat, and if they, if they, you know, they can eat the sacred food, and if they were to take a slave, then the slave could partake of the sacred. I mean, it was like they became part of the family. So there was a different mindset there. Um, it also, you also see in this, this whole system, though, this idea that none of that was ever permanent. You know, if somebody could buy them back, they'd come buy them back. Or this whole last part was about the year of Jubilee, right? And so every, regardless, if you got on the 50 years... Everything was turned upside down. Now, we all think, how chaotic would that be? I mean, can you imagine if this was year 46 and in three years you gave your house back because you were on somebody's land that you bought the property from 15 years ago and it returns back to them? Um, And so slavery was that kind of same thing. Uh, God does sanction slavery in this case in saying that if you have them, you, you know, they can become, he gives ways they can get out. He doesn't sanction the slavery that we know in our mind. He sanctions being able to, to bring these people in. And in some ways, um, it would have been a merciful act to take a foreigner in that didn't have a place or land or any kind of way to make a living and bring them into your family through that process. Does that make sense? Okay. Well, that's what I'm here for. That's all it's about. It's making, making us feel better. All right, go ahead. Year of Jubilee. Did the Jubilee? I'll tell you this. No, that that's a that's a Israelite thing. The number seven is very important, right? You get that picture. Uh, God created in six days, seventh day you rest. So you farm for six years, and on the seventh year you let it rest. Well, first of all, that's just good agriculture. Those of you that grew up around farms or know stuff, you have to let the land rest, or at least plant something different on that land, or otherwise you're going to wear the land down. So that was just good agriculture. But you see that you do six years, then the seventh year you let it rest, and when you've had seven sevens, you have a year of jubilee. And this is what I want you to help me look for as we read through this. I don't know of any evidence that they ever practiced it. I don't know of any evidence that they ever practiced the year of jubilee. 
The, year, the idea behind the year of Jubilee was that God did not want his people in bondage to debt or to other people. And so he figured every 50 years to cancel everybody's debt was pretty good. And so you had people, and what I think is interesting is, um, if you were working in the real estate market, you wanted to work in the first couple of years of Jubilee, right? Because they set prices based on how close it was to Jubilee. Um, but the general idea there is to give people a time to rest and to give people a time to recover. I think one of the biggest sins of our generation is that we don't rest near enough. And we've built into our culture this idea that if you rest, you're being lazy. That if you sit down, and we all, well, we got a couple of days off on the weekend, but on the weekend, my weekend, I'm taking Eli to basketball. We're going to lunch somewhere. We got something we got to get done at the grocery. We got to go shopping. We're going to go out to eat. We're going to go to church on Sunday. We're going to get that done. We're going to go home. We're going to rest. It's a day of rest. We're going to rest for an hour and a half, and then we're going to be back. Right? And then during the week, we're running the whole time. And so there's no rest. Now, I don't believe that that means that that you have to take Sunday, because Sunday is not the original Sabbath day. Saturday is the original Sabbath day. I don't think that means that you have to take Sunday because of the new law that has come in Christ and say, I'm setting aside Sunday never to do anything. Okay? But I do think it means that you need to have space in your week for rest. Real rest. Get in the recliner and get back and turn on the TV and watch sports rest. Lay down in the bed and take a nap rest. Put the kids in their room and lock the door rest, whatever. you got to have rest, whatever that means for you. Now, that doesn't mean it can't be activity either, I don't think. For me, um, getting out and swinging a golf club is rest. I mean, it's not sleeping, but it's relaxing and it's reinvigorating. And I may be tired at the end of that, but I am recuperated in some way. So I'm ready for the weather to be where I can recuperate. Right? So, all right. Does that answer year of Jubilee? It's it's a Jew. It comes from God. It's a Jewish thing based on the seven years. Yeah, the, the, the time period in here is all set by the law thing. Yeah. Do you feel like you've read a law book? I mean, it feel, I mean, that's what you've read. That's the law. It's This is what judges in their time frame would have used. Moses, as he's settling disputes, would have used this as the law book. All right? Other questions? What surprised you about the book of Leviticus? Just the way it was written. Yeah, do it this way. The detail of it? So specific, right. It, it doesn't make general rules, does he? Be, be holy in your... Um, sexual intimacy. He doesn't do that. He lists every possible thing you can do and says don't. Right? And it's not just be holy in how you treat people. He, This is what you need to do. Very specific. Yeah, Gary. No, I... Here, here's what I would say the last two or three chapters of the book of Leviticus is. Uh, Gary's asking, those that can't hear, Gary asked about that where God's listing all the things he'll do if they don't obey. And he says, but at last my people will repent. Basically, the last book, last two or three chapters of Leviticus give us an outline for the rest of the Old Testament. 
If my people don't obey, here's what's going to happen. If they do, here's what will happen. And what you get into in the book of Judges, but it spread out throughout the Old Testament. Um, some of you remember, this would have been back in August, so uh, just act like you remember. Um, we did the story series where I talked about kind of uh, the Scripture as a fairy tale almost. And in there I talked about this this pattern they get into of obeying and then God blesses and then they forget and then they disobey and God punishes and then they cry out and God delivers and God blesses and then they forget and God punishes and then they cry out and you just get this pattern. And what you have in Leviticus basically is saying this is what's going to happen. And then we see it happen as we go through the rest of the book. Yes, Leslie. Yeah. He was about to vomit out the people in the land. And I think that it's that graphic. He's about to throw them out. They're, they're detestable in his sight. The, the idea there literally is um, one of the things I think you see as you read through the Bible, the Bible is not a G-rated book. Okay? And so it, it literally means that he made him so sick to his stomach that he is going to vomit them out of the land. And that if his people do the same things that these people do, he will vomit them out of the land. Now, what New Testament passage talks about vomit? Revelation, you're lukewarm, I will vomit you out of my mouth. We say spew because it sounds better. Okay? Vomit is the better depiction. All right? And, and it's just it's just what you would think. He's just he's going to throw them out. He's going to... The Israelites are going to take the land by force, and those people are going to be run out. He's chosen this land for them. What is interesting is we, people like to think that their generation is the first generation to think up some of these sins. Right? But we're not. I mean, all those things that he lists, well, why does he list them? Why does he list every one of those, those uh, um, sexual things? Well, it says at the end that where you're going, they're already doing that. All this stuff, they're already doing. And so when you read it and you go, oh, no, what, what, what? That's, that's not necessary. We don't need to say that. Well, nobody would be doing that. Well, they are. And it's gone back as far as Adam and Eve shortly after them. Uh, and so he's just saying that it's detestable. Joyce, they, were war- what, what, they didn't care about women and girls. You're really trying to get your former uh, employer in trouble here, aren't you, Joyce? You're, you're really, yeah. That culture valued women less than our culture. And you can see it every place in Leviticus. And that's why when you get to the New Testament, when you get to the New Testament and you read Paul giving equal status to women, in Christ there is neither male nor female People in his day would have gone. That 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 is vulgar. God is just establishing a thing, and the reason males were more valued was because of the work that had to be done. Um, if you had, they didn't give certain work to females. The hard labor, and they thought that it was God ordained. They didn't give that work. Uh, the hard labor, the, the farming, the sowing, all of that. Women didn't do much of that. And so if you were a family 
and you didn't have any men, you didn't have any males, you're going to lose your, your business. And then that was kind of there. So that's why from a financial standpoint, males were valued over females. <laughs> Once you hit 60, those shekels go down. If anybody wants to sell or buy Gary, he is now a value priced. <laughs> right? <laughs> so, all right, let's talk about uh, kind of a parallel between reading all of this, and then we read a psalm last week. Y'all may have talked about this last week, but uh, I got a couple of email questions on this particular one. Is we're reading all of this this sacrifice stuff going on, and then we read in the psalm where God says, or David says, I realize you don't want our sacrifices. You don't care about our rituals. Okay? Now somebody emailed me and said, why in the world would God set all that in place if he didn't care about them? Well, here's the truth, and I'm going to try to find this quickly. I don't know that I can find it real quickly. Um, but towards the end of Leviticus, God kind of says that all of this really doesn't matter if you're not doing it for the right reason. Um, he says, If you're careful to follow my decrees and obey my commands, I'll send you rain in the season, the ground, your threshing will continue. I will grant peace in your land. This is chapter 26 of Leviticus. I will remove savage beasts. You will pursue your enemies. They will fall. Five of you will chase a hundred. A hundred of you chase ten thousand. I will look on you with favor, make you fruitful. You'll still be eating last year's harvest when you have more to harvest. Uh, he lists all these things. And he says, but if you will not listen to me. And the point that we get to is, after these decrees are given, the Israelites begin to believe that they can do whatever they want to do as long as they come back and give the right goat. They'll go live however they want to live, but if they bring the right bull back, everything's all right. We do the right festivals, it'll be okay. And what begins to happen, in, especially once you get to uh, the Second Kings and some of those places, is you begin to see that not only are they not anymore really with their hearts following the Lord, they're no longer following the law at all. And so you have this cycle that we'll see in the kings where one king rises to power and it says he was, did what was right in the sight of the Lord, which means he set up the right worship, he did all those things. And then you'll have the next one that says he did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so he puts up idols and he doesn't follow the rituals. And you get all the way to the exile, which that's way down the road for us, but we'll get there. You get to the exile and they come back from the exile and Ezra gets the book and they start reading the book. And as they start reading the book, people are just weeping. Like, man, we have missed it. What, where was this? And Nehemiah's rebuilding the wall, and Ezra's standing up with the law, reading the law, and he reads it for a day. I mean, I want you to imagine for a minute standing out in the hot sun while I just stand up on a podium and read Leviticus. But what they realized is we hadn't been doing any of that. No wonder the Lord is mad with us. No wonder he's upset. And true repentance will happen. But what you have set up is it starts with this idea that we can do whatever we want as long as we go make the sacrifice. And so God gets to the point where he says things like, I hate your sacrifices. I abhor your worship. I detest the songs that you sing. I wish you wouldn't even come into the worship. 
Because their hearts are not living the law. Now, as believers in Jesus, here's the thing that's real dangerous for us. We don't even have to do the sacrificial things anymore. And even if you were living as far away from the Lord as possible, when it came time to take your lamb and slaughter it at Passover, there was a visual reminder of what your sin cost. And in many of our churches, we've built into our lives where we never have to think about the cost of our sin. We come, we sit, we sing, we listen, we go. We live like we want to live, we come, we sit, we sing, we listen, we go. And we are caught in the routine, but our hearts are far from Him. And so the reason when David says, I have understood that you do not want my sacrifice, what he means is not that you don't want me to follow the law. What he means is you want my life. You want every day. You want every moment. You don't want just when I bring the lamb. You want everything we got. Um, here are a couple of things that I wrote down out of the book of Leviticus that just uh, you can think about as a whole. First of all, there are two major themes, I think, in Leviticus. And one is, or there's one major theme that plays itself out in two ways. The major theme is that God calls us to holy living. And it works itself out in two ways. God has a distinct people, so we ought to act distinctly. I was uh, reading some information on Leviticus, and one pastor talked about getting on a plane. He said, the guy next to me was Muslim. And he said, he didn't tell me he was Muslim, but I knew he was Muslim by what he wore and what he looked like. And he said, my question really was becoming, he didn't have to tell me, he didn't have to explain anything. He said, my question became, what in my life marks me as a follower of Jesus? What, if anything, would mark me as a follower of Jesus? What God is doing in Israel is establishing a very distinct people. Now, we can get into the dietary laws, the food laws, and, you know, you read some of that. They couldn't eat this, you couldn't eat that. He might feel guilty about what they're eating a little bit when you're reading all that. I bet their food didn't taste real good. They didn't have fat, right? Can't eat fat, can't eat shellfish, can't eat, you know, half our supper menu's gone. Uh, I'm thankful that God raised the sheep for Peter and said, go kill and eat. Um, but part of that was because if you look at some of what he told them not to eat, there were sanitary and health reasons not to eat it. You eat the blood of a live animal. It's not live when you eat it, but, you know, I mean, if you drink the blood or you kill an animal and eat it immediately, there are ramifications for doing that. If you... Certain shellfish you have to cook in a certain way. I mean, we know all those dietary guidelines. He was giving them dietary guidelines. But some of it doesn't make sense. Some of it doesn't follow the health reasons. Rabbit, there wasn't anything bad about rabbit. I mean, I knew they're cute bunnies. It's almost Easter, I know. But rabbit's good meat. Nothing wrong with it. You cook it. Um, how many of you ever eaten rabbit? It's not nothing wrong with it, right? You put it with a little coon and... Venison and a stew, it's good. Um, I sound like a real West Tennessee boy right there, didn't I? Um, but part of it was just for them to be distinct. And it wasn't anything that infringed on any freedom necessarily. They were just being distinct. So holiness in part was being distinct. 
But it also meant following the rules, doing things that were protecting them. I mean, he told them not to have relations with their family members because that's just right. You know, he one of the things that you find in here is Jesus' favorite verses in Leviticus. Love your neighbor is in Leviticus. You've got things that are in there that are just common sense kind of things where, where he says, don't make fun or criticize the deaf. Don't take advantage of the poor. One of the things I think you see in there is real protections against developing an upper, middle, and lower class. A year of Jubilee intended on that. If you had a poor somebody and somebody in the family could go buy them a kinsman redeemer, you went and bought them. You brought them back. And so God is establishing these rules for holiness. Now what you obviously also see in here is we need sacrifice for our sins. And that sacrifice comes through the blood. There's that very telling description. I think it's in 17, 18, where it talks about that the the life is in the blood. And the idea there is that it's something we know. If police go to a crime scene and they see someone on the ground with a pool of blood coming behind them, what do they immediately assess? They're dead. Your blood's gone. You're, you're dead. It's just natural. When Cain and Abel had their little incident, also known as murder, right? God comes and says, the blood is crying out to me from the ground. It's the life. And it was, I mentioned this earlier, um, that, you know, we talked about pets and those kind of things a few weeks ago. And they didn't have dogs running around, but the closest thing they had to a pet was their Passover lamb. I mean, they would take it into their family. They would raise it up. They would get it prepared. They would, they would literally take care of that pet in the home to prepare it for Passover. And as they're working with that animal, getting it together, their family is going to form a natural bond with it. And then when Passover comes, what do they have to do? They have to kill it, sacrifice it. And so for the family, it became a very visual reminder of the seriousness of their sin. Every time they saw it, they realized that. that The blood issue is an issue because it meant the sanctity of life, how important life was. So if you spilled somebody's blood, they could take yours. Or somebody could take yours. And you move all the way to the New Testament. And so when Jesus tells people, if you're going to be my follower, you've got to eat my flesh and drink my blood. When he's on the cross and he talks about the night before that his cup is the cup of a new covenant, his blood spilled for them. They understand that it's not just the blood coming out, but it's his life given. It's life for a life. And so what you see in Leviticus, I saw... Um, Sherry uh, Whitfield wrote on Facebook this week, so thankful we live on this side of the cross after reading through Leviticus and that we don't have to go through that because of what Christ has done. I know it's not on your reading schedule, but sometime this week, thinking about Leviticus, it would be good to go read Hebrews 9 and 10 because that's where it talks about Christ as our once and for all atoning sacrifice. All right? We're leaving Leviticus. Anybody upset? Yes, Sue. Sue's upset back there. Well, and what you understand is 
the compassion and the love that God showed for the nation of Israel throughout the Old Testament and the heart that he has for them is now the heart that it's always beat for the entire world. But because of what Christ has done, it's our job to express that heart to all men, women, across this world of his heart for them. And what you will see in the Old Testament is many times God is portrayed as a scorned or mistreated or forgotten lover, husband, that the bride has gone off. And I think that shows to the heart of what God feels about his people. So, All right, let's go to Mark. Have you noticed Mark gets to the point a little faster? I mean, stories aren't real. They just go, right? We're already, I mean, it just feels like we got started with Mark and we're already at the last week, right? It just He moves a little more quickly, okay? Anything in there that you kind of saw or pointed at, thought about? A lot of the stories are repeats. That's because Matthew and Mark um, worked with each other, or didn't work with each other, but used some source material together. More than likely, they also kind of live the same story. Uh, Mark did through Peter, so you would think they'd be that. Miss Cologne, yes. Yeah. There was this there's this opinion that Elijah would come and prophesy that the Messiah would then come, and that you couldn't have the Messiah until you had Elijah. Okay, um, And that was the belief in Jewish circles. Still today, those that are Orthodox Jews, when they sit down for the Passover meal, they leave a place for Elijah the prophet. Okay, So Elijah is a very important prophet for them. What Jesus says is he does, and he has, that not necessarily that they miss. It's not that the person of Elijah comes, but more one like Elijah. A lot of people will say John the Baptist served that role uh, as kind of the announcer of the coming of the Messiah. What, what he's saying is, you don't have to wait for anything else. I, I am the Messiah is here, and I am Him. I am He. It's me. And you don't have to wait for uh, Elijah to come and announce me. So, um, does that answer your question, Denise? Yes, Miss Teresa. There, Miss Miss uh, Teresa is asking about, especially over in Mark nine, where the uh, the disciples can't drive out this. Um, you know, the story here is uh, after the transfiguration, um, which is where that last quote was. Denise, um, they come out of the transfiguration. There are other disciples. They get there, and when they get there, they're arguing. There are people arguing, and they said, "Well, what's wrong?" And he says, well, we brought this one, and, and your disciples couldn't do anything. And Jesus makes this kind of strange statement after in verse 29 that this guy only comes out by prayer. Um, there, are two, there are two thoughts on that in most readings. One is exactly what you said, that the disciples got complacent, that they just thought, well, no, we can do this, come out of him, come out of him, and they weren't prepared, they weren't in prayer, they weren't in thought. Um, uh, some manuscripts will say their prayer and fasting which makes it even more of a, a you know difficult thing. What I think is known there or seen there pretty uh, obviously is that Jesus is saying that some demons are harder than others, which gives rise to this understanding that the enemy is organized, that he has, it's not just a bunch of unorganized demons running around, that there's a hierarchy. There are stronger ones, there are weaker ones. Because 
He didn't say, well, if y'all would have prayed and fasted, y'all could have done this. He said, this is the kind, this demon. And so there's some out there that think it wasn't anything that the disciples did or didn't do. It was just they weren't ready for that particular demon. Does that answer it for you? Okay. Anything in Mark? Yes, Rick. I would if I could. Uh, I think it shows the creativity of God that he did a two-part healing. I wanted them. To, I think he wanted them to kind of see that it's, you know, there there are times that that there are times that people say, well, he's got something up his sleeve. He's doing it. You know, he's doing something, and Jesus kind of just kind of works it around. Says, no, well, I'll do it a different way today to to show you that it's not any tricks. It's actually happening. And I think he just wanted this guy to, to kind of do a gradual revelation of what he was going to do for him. Um, I don't have any better assumption other than that. Someday I'll preach a sermon on it, and I'll give you five points on it. How about that? I might cut it to four. Anything else in the book of Mark? Yes, Miss Dixon. Did you ask last week, or you just wait, load it up? You just load it up for me. Okay, six what? Yes. He's just going to go on to the other side. Why does he need the boat? Yeah. I don't know. I think it's funny that he was going to walk on past the boat. I love how different gospel writers give us different details. I don't know if I can just imagine them get out of the boat and go, where were you going? I was just going to walk on by. I I didn't need the boat. I was fine. But y'all were the ones in trouble. You know, I mean, he... The point is, uh, that, that's a little bit of a debate in how you should translate what that is in the original. There's some that, that, that don't think you should translate walk on by, but like he was going to walk up to. Uh, so, but the point is that he stopped and he helped and calmed and all that. So, Did you all like that? Do you all think it's funny when they put stuff like that? So, Gary, did you have a question before I get to Cliff? Because I saw your hand a minute ago. Yeah. Mark 9:38. What he's basically saying is this is one of the philosophies that I use with TV preachers. Okay? Cuz I watch some television preachers and I get mad because I don't think they're telling the whole gospel. But at the same time they're giving some of the gospel. And I think that what he's saying is if anybody speak in my name, you have to trust the spirit enough that I can do the work in the hearts of the people. I think about uh, in Ripley, I, we uh, had a girl who came, uh, started coming to church, and I, we were doing a welcome class, and we started talking, and I said, well, tell me about your baptism. And she said, I was baptized in the Mormon church. I was like, okay, let's talk about that. And I said, well, you know, and she goes, I know Mormonism's a cult. She said, I know that now. She said, I never believed what they are. She said, I was baptized because I believed that Jesus Christ died for my sins on the cross and he saved me because I was there one week and that's what they said. Now, after I was baptized, they started teaching things that the Bible didn't say. And I thought about this verse. You know, I'm up there and I and in a couple of weeks we'll talk about Mormonism on Sunday night. And I'll tell you all the problems I have with Mormonism. But there was this girl that walked into a Mormon church and heard the gospel presented and accepted it. And I can tell you this, she was as clear on the gospel as anybody I've ever talked to. 
And so we talked about her baptism, and we went through that and symbolic nature of it. And uh, I've said this is one of those verses where we just say, even though they might not have been doing it for the right reasons or with the full knowledge, they were still speaking good of Jesus. Um, that's the best I can explain it, Gary. It's just, you know, what he's saying is if they're talking good about me, they can't blast me the next minute if they're speaking truth or if they're driving out demons. It also shows the power of the name of Jesus that even when people were using him for other means, his name still had power. Cliff? Yeah. You know, one of my favorite verses is in this, one of my favorite verses that we read this past week was that verse where Jesus comes to heal and he says, you're, he said, and the guy says to him, which I love how Jesus responds, he says, could you do this if you can? He goes, if I can, I can do, I can do whatever I want to do. And I just believe. And he says, I believe, help me, I don't believe. You know, it's that, you know, and don't, I mean, we feel like that. I feel like that sometimes. I don't want to say we, but I feel like that sometimes. It's like, God, I believe. Jesus, I believe. Help me. I don't believe. You know, he says, help me in my unbelief. But the idea is the same. I, I believe, but I'm having a hard time right now believing. And we, the amazing thing is his patience. I think the most amazing thing to me about the life of Jesus is his patience. I mean, he dealt with those guys for three and a half years, and they still didn't get it. And this is from somebody that remembers in his memory saying, Light. And there was light saying, giraffe, when there's a giraffe. And yet he's living with three guys for three and a half years, and they don't hear him at all. And even when he's with them, he says, stop, quiet, storm, and everything stops. And he tells the disciples, hey, y'all go keep watch for a few minutes, and they all go to sleep. And yet he had the power to zap them right there and say, I'm starting over. You, done, you 12 are done. He's patient. It's encouraging for me because I'm a whole lot more like the 12 when it comes to their unbelief than I want to be. All right, let's talk about Psalms and Proverbs for a minute. What do you notice in there? Proverbs, we're getting down to where it's really just one or two sayings a day. Some of them make me laugh. Some of them make me cringe. Anybody have any favorites from the week? Start looking for that. Your favorite proverb of the week, all right? Here's my favorite, Proverbs 10, 19. Too much talk leads to sin. Be sensible and keep your mouth shut. Some of y'all pray that about this time every Wednesday night for me. Anything else? I mean, some of those proverbs are just, you just read them and you go, yeah, that's right. Be looking for that, your favorite proverb of the week. You may have one. Other than that, they... Saw this week in the last couple of weeks they want to share? Or anything out of the Psalms? Yes, ma'am. That one is the most convicting one. Yeah. Proverbs is written mainly by Solomon. Um, yeah. King Lemuel has some in there, but primarily by Solomon. So, I like, you know, there these they couple together. Proverbs 10:18, which was a couple of days before that. Hiding hatred makes you a liar. This idea that if you hold it in, you're untrue. But slandering others makes you a fool. 
And so it kind of gives you both sides of that coin. If you hide your hatred, you're lying. But if you run out and tell everybody how bad somebody is, you're a fool. So it's finding that middle ground of confronting the person and letting go of the hatred. So, all right, anything else? That's right. That's the hardest one for adults to, you know, we, we, when I read that, my first thought usually is, that's what my children need to learn. I'm, I'm afraid that I, it needs to be what Lyle needs to learn. Yeah. As a couplet, yeah. It's good. Proverbs is good. And like I said, we're getting to those real pithy one or two a day, so be looking for that. Here, let me, let me encourage you a little bit. Numbers is slightly better than Leviticus. All right? You're welcome. <laughs> I do have one of my one of my fun, one of the funniest and my favorite moments in scripture happens in numbers, so we'll look forward to that. Um, and then here's some encouragement. Deuteronomy is about like numbers. So, and then after Deuteronomy, we get to Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, First, Second Chronicles, and then we get to the prophets. Okay, you make it through the next two books, the next month, really. And you, first of all, let me congratulate on making it this far. Okay, we were just talking in the office last week, and uh, Leviticus is where most people throw in the towel. It just is. Um, or they just wait till the next one comes around, and then we just start on the next book. Thanks for sticking in that long. If you're a little behind, that's okay. If you haven't started yet, now's a good time to start. Just jump in where we are. We've got reading plans. Do you have any Bibles left? A few. Uh, if you like the Bible, jump in and go with us. All right? We're done.